Good morning and welcome back to the Thrive Subscribe Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Denninger. Today, Randy and his guest, Jonathan Orgorchek, are going to be talking about specialty pharmacy. Uh, and this is a very interesting topic uh, for a lot of reasons. One, uh, it's an area that many pharmacies and pharmacists want to get involved in. Uh, and two, it's an area that uh, generates uh, not only good income, uh, but also good clinical opportunities. So let's uh, listen in as uh, Randy talks with uh, Jonathan today about specialty pharmacy. Welcome back to Thrive Subscribe. Um, again, this is Randy McDonough from Thrive Subscribe. And today we have a guest by the name of Jonathan Orgorjak. Jonathan is a pharmacist. He's also founder and CEO of Stack, and he's also um, the managing partner of Rhythm Group. Welcome, Jonathan. Hey, thanks so much for having me today, Randy. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Hey, Jonathan, before we get started, um, I know you have done a lot of work in specialty pharmacy, and I'm assuming with the two companies that I just mentioned that you're part of has something to do with that. Can you describe what Stack is and then also what the managing uh, partner of Rhythm Group is? Sure. So Stack, um, we actually designed, you know, just based on my experience working um, and operating pharmacies over the last several years, uh, we built Stack as um, a tool that can help uh, businesses to automate all of the activities that occur outside of a dispense. You know, there's really good solutions on the market right now that can help you to you know, take in referrals, receive e-scripts, adjudicate those claims, but there's not as much when it comes to managing all of the other ancillary things, all of the contracts that you need to sign, the licenses that you need to uh, obtain and manage, not only for your, your pharmacies, but for your staff. Uh, if you need to have accreditations, if you need to have other, you know, these other ancillary items that aren't necessarily revenue driving, but they're absolutely necessary in order for your business to run. <clears throat> so we built Stack as a solution to help to automate some of those things. And we, we curate some content uh, across all different lines of business. You know, specialty uh, was the initial focus just because that is where my background uh, lies. But we've expanded. So we, we touch community, we touch home infusion, we touch long-term care, you know, any, anywhere where there may be these needs to help run a pharmacy, we we build a solution to help to automate some of those things. Uh, and then Rhythm Group is actually the, the parent company of Stack, and it was designed as more of a uh, consulting organization uh, to help pharmacies to better align some of their technologies. You know, oftentimes what we would find, um, and I saw this firsthand working at the pharmacy, if we needed to go find a new tech solution for our pharmacy. Uh, oftentimes, uh, you know, they have really good technical people that built these things, but they built them in a silo. They didn't have the expertise of what was known on uh, what you need to do to run a pharmacy necessarily. So we try to bring both of those two together and inter intersect them and uh, help to consult with organizations to give them good tech solutions. And if there aren't good tech solutions for their needs, we can help to design them and, and custom build them ourselves. Well, I appreciate the clarification of Stack that it's not just for specialty pharmacy, though that's probably how it really arose is based upon some of the things you talked about with contracts, accreditations, and other things you have to do to be a specialty pharmacy. But obviously, this is, other parts of pharmacy are being affected by this as well, too. And I can tell you, just being a DME provider and being paid by CMS, I have to go through the same kind of processes. So I could see that being very beneficial to help you uh, keep everything in check because that accreditation uh, time period goes by pretty darn fast. <laughs> then all of a sudden it hits you. Well, you, you know, you're, you're exactly right. And, and that's one of the things that we had run into. And I, I've, I've spoken to a number of pharmacies that, that express the same sort of thing where they would say, you know, we, we got this accreditation where we, you know, we had to pay a consultant to help us get accredited, you know, let's say. And, you know, that three-year window just goes by so quickly. And once you've missed an opportunity to capture something, 
you know, it's, it's more of a pain to have to go and create a corrective action plan to say, you know, we realize we've messed up, let's fix it for the future, as opposed to just utilizing a tool like Stack to prompt you when those things may be due and help to automate your processes for you. So, you know, you can focus on taking care of patients. You can focus on the needs of the day and know that you have some, some assurance in the background to, to kind of keep you with chat. Yeah, well, thank you. I want, I want to spend a little bit of time on, on specialty pharmacy since that's kind of your background. And that's also an area that, you know, community pharmacies have looked at. It's a tough market to get into right now. Um, what opportunities do you see for a community-based pharmacy to work within the specialty area? And at least somehow, how do they connect patient care initiatives so that patients aren't being siloed where they're getting some things from one pharmacy, other things from another pharmacy, but we're, we're really trying to smooth that transition of care between different entities taking care of that patient. Yeah, sure. So, you know, the, the challenging part when you say specialty pharmacy is there's not a, a solid definition of what specialty truly is. I mean, if you look at uh, some of the definitions from CMS that are out there, it's very loosely defined. And, you know, there's organizations like the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy that have tried to put some parameters around that. But until a group like CMS agrees with what is specialty, what is not, oftentimes that definition is provided by an individual payer. It's provided by an individual manufacturer of a drug. It might even be provided by the pharmacy itself. And so when you, when you think of specialty, it's such a broad, wide-sweeping area for um, pharmacies to want to get into. And there are, you know, to your point, there are some areas that may pose, pose problematic for community pharmacies to get engaged. You know, if you're looking at not, you know, orphan populations, very small subsets of patients, if you're looking at things with some higher cold chain sensitivity, you know, there's, there's some supply chain considerations that go into the decision-making process for manufacturers to say, well, this is, this is why we want to have a drug go through a specialty channel. Oftentimes, there aren't those considerations, though, and there's there's areas where specialty becomes that gray area. You know, I, I, I teach at the University of Pittsburgh. I teach at, at Duquesne University, and oftentimes I'll ask the question to my students. I'll say, well, what, what do you know about specialty pharmacy? And firsthand, it shoots up usually. They're saying, well, it's it's usually expensive. And, I, and unfortunately, because that's really where the guidance from CMS comes, that tends to be the definition that, that falls into place. And so these these drugs that may have a higher cost, right now the definition from CMS is about 670 bucks a month, not all that much, but there are drugs that your community pharmacies likely deal with on a monthly basis that fit that criteria. And there are these areas where there might be drug spend associated with a specialty quote-unquote product that your community pharmacies can, can work with local payers to, to help identify, well, what's some, some drug spend that's really being caught up that we can help to manage at our community location. You know, we can partner with you to provide uh, patient service. We can provide uh, an additional clinical program. We can provide something above and beyond what you're getting already. And, you know, when you're looking at aggregating a lot of these low-hanging fruits, it doesn't have the uh, necessarily the, the headline news of some of these very, very high-cost products that are on the market today that are likely going to be managed through a traditional specialty pharmacy. But it's enough to, to accumulate and appreciate a benefit to local payers that can help to carve out some of those dollars to really you know, showcase the opportunity for your pharmacies to, to 
really impact patient care because you're the ones that have more of that hands-on face-to-face engagement with those patients on a regular basis. They're coming to you for their ancillary meds, their concomitant meds to manage you know, some more of these chronic conditions. You know, if there are some of these therapies that could fit this this mold where they they meet that criteria of higher cost and they meet that criteria where a payer has a prior off in place, but you, know, you can find ways to help navigate that for a prescribable phase, then there's definitely some, some niche areas that you can look to uh, impact or start to get engaged in specialty pharmacy. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, you know, what we're seeing in our own practice, we we are able to um, fill some of the specialty medications, um, but there's quite a few that we, we can't and our patients have to go elsewhere or they're being directed by the prescriber because they want them more in the in-house and using the in-house pharmacy, specialty pharmacy, because they pretty much take them from beginning to end on the prior authorization. And so they just feel like it's a, it's just easier for the prescriber um, just to have the patient within that system. In that situation, because you talk, you know, when I when I look at like APHA's definition of of specialty, they, it's you say high cost like you did, but also high touch, right? So these um, medications that the patients are on, you need to make sure the patient's being monitored appropriately. And you talk about these. Um, ancillary services that pharmacists in the community provide all the time because they have the relationship with the patient. They're seeing this patient on a frequent basis. What are some strategies, Jonathan, that you think would work where someone like me being a community-based pharmacist could go to an, an entity that is more of a specialty pharmacy and talk about how do we work together? How do we engage together? Because obviously, there's the financial side of things and there's probably not the monies associated with the service side as much as associated with the product side. How do we, how do we bridge those gaps? Sure. Well, you know, it's, uh, it, I think you bring up a, a very valid point. Um, the oftentimes when you're looking at the specialty pharmacy, getting engaged in patient's care, uh, it's just another, you know, another party to add into the mix already working with you in the community for their, their chronic meds, uh, their, or their you know, short-term acute meds. They're working with their prescriber. They're working with a specialist who likely diagnosed them for the specialty condition. And so you're adding another pharmacy into the mix where there's there's information out there about this patient that needs to be shared and, and better understood. And, and oftentimes there's a huge learning gap when it comes to best managing the patient because that specialist may not have a full medication profile. Uh, the PCP may not have a full medication profile. The specialty pharmacy definitely is not going to, but you you have that information because you're the ones that are managing these patients on an ongoing basis. So you know, encouraging there to be a better dialogue back and forth between the community provider as well as the specialty, it helps to better integrate that care and have a better understanding of what those patients' needs are from an overall continuity of care perspective. I can't tell you how many times you know, in, in my past lives, you know, med reconciliation was a chore because we had no idea. Uh, and, and oftentimes asking the patients, they, they weren't about to go and grab you know, their pill boxes and, and kind of read things off to us. So they're just, oh, yo, I'm on a blood pressure med or I'm on a diabetes med. And so it took a lot of digging to understand, well, what is this patient truly facing? Because if we're going to best impact what's going on with this patient, we want to make sure there aren't any side effects or any uh, untoward effects or, or those sorts of things. So you know, helping to to better communicate across those parties is one way. 
the second way, and, and this is a way from a clinical programs perspective where I also saw um, community pharmacies able to get engaged, it was providing some of that additional uh, face-to-face engagement with uh, patients that you, you tend to miss on the community, on the, uh, the general specialty side of things. You know, when, when patients are often diagnosed with specialty conditions, you know, think of what that patient journey is like. They, they haven't been feeling well. They went to their PCP. You know, they said, oh, well, we'll give it a period of time. We'll follow up with you. you know, they, they put it off. They may refer them to a specialist. They might refer them to another specialist. So you know, by the time that they land on a specialty diagnosis and they say, you know, Randy, unfortunately, you're diagnosed with X, you know, in that appointment, that's probably the last thing that those patients hear. You know, they're not hearing that this drug needs to go somewhere new for them. They're not hearing what's going on with this disease process. You know, or if they are hearing it, there's just so much for them to absorb that it, it can be overwhelming. And so pharmacists as a whole provide that unique sort of uh, stopgap between what's going on at the specialist office at point of diagnosis and what's actually happening outside of that as an outpatient. So, you know, providing both disease education as well as therapeutic like medication management education becomes critical because with a lot of these therapies, there's some, some not so fun side effects that if you're able to help patients to understand not only how to mitigate them, whether through using a concomitant therapy or to understand, well, maybe this is just a part of the disease process. It has nothing to do with the drug. Let's, let's find ways to get them to better understand what they're new normal is going to look like, for instance, um, that helps them to improve their care overall. And so I've seen instances where fee-for-service types of programs may be able to be reimbursed um, just by providing some of those counseling sessions in the community uh, setting if, you know, if you know, you're able to provide those services on, on behalf of patient need. No, I appreciate that. And I think we do have to find, you know, new reimbursement strategies of how do you actually, you know, pay for that. And that's evolving. And as we have these enhanced uh, pharmacy networks, <clears throat> enhanced services networks, such as CPSN, um, you know, how do we how do we fit those pharmacies that are providing a higher level of care um, with some of the specialty practices as well and connecting with the physicians who are diagnosing these patients as well? You know, part of some of the work that you do, you know, you you talk about like enhanced clinical programs. Can you explain what is meant by that statement, enhanced clinical programs? Sure. So, you know, oftentimes, you know, there's there's a baseline expectation of what occurs uh, when when you have a transaction. Yeah, if you think of that pharmacy experience as a transactional type of experience, you know, a patient walks through the door, you uh, hand them the medication. There's that generic over ninety offer to counsel. Where there's certain criteria that need to be met, but oftentimes, you know, the patient doesn't know what they don't know when it comes to asking a question for the pharmacist. So they you know, sign the book and they. they move on from there. You know, building an enhanced clinical program is finding something that's unique to that patient's drug experience, whether it's based on the disease that that, that medication is treating or based on the actual medication itself, and tying some additional value add to that. Uh, and whether it's through additional counseling, as I had mentioned, or additional uh, follow-up and maintenance, you know, there's, there's definitely an onus on behalf of drug manufacturers and payers alike to ensure that the investment that they're making in that patient is going to be seen through. You know, you hate for a patient to get an investment of a $670 per month medication and 
they don't have a good understanding of what the side effects are. They discontinue after two months. The disease progresses, and then they uh, transition to a higher-cost biologic product that needs to go through a true specialty pharmacy because of just the complexity. Or you know, that patient has a hospitalization because you're not following through uh, a full course of a, an acute therapy that's you know, a higher-cost product. And so you know, where I found the most success is if you're, you're tying a specific program that provides a value at above and beyond what the traditional you know, transactional experiences at the pharmacy counter. Uh, oftentimes, there's incentive there uh, from either a payer or a manufacturer to look to build on that. Uh, I've seen some success where, as I mentioned, if you're able to find a drug spend that's tied up with some of these products, um, and, and approach a payer and say, hey, you know, send patients our way. Don't restrict them and say that it's a specialty drug and it has to go to a true specialty pharmacy just based on price alone. Because if you could give us the ability to, to impact and service those patients, the possibility exists that we can help to, to lower your expenditures by better managing those patients. And whether it's you know, additional counseling at port of sale that you can prove that you're completing or uh, additional follow-up that you have with that patient several days later just to ensure that they're completing the therapy as prescribed and they're not having side effects. You know, those little value adds that are above and beyond, that can really be deemed as enhanced and you can look to drive some additional value. Now, what, what is that value? Uh, you know, oftentimes when you look at it as a fee-for-service, you know, oftentimes manufacturers may say, hey, you know, we'll, give you, we'll give you X number of dollars for demonstrating that you provide Y service. Uh, some of that value, though, may be just an intrinsic value. If you're able to work with a payer to help them to better manage their cost, uh, you know, they can afford you the ability to manage these drugs, which in turn, you can see some additional dispensing revenue associated with it where you may not have otherwise. So you know, work for some preferred provider type of agreements uh, to, to have an understanding that some of these drugs can be managed at your location as opposed to uh, prescription being written at Flags for a prior off that's not sitting on your shelf, and you know, it, you know, an alternative might be available for you to call the doc and say, "Well, why don't you therapeutically substitute because here's something we have today." Yeah, you know, there's there's ways that you could look to build a little bit more of a value model surrounding some of those things. So, Jonathan, do you see the model changing at all in the future? Um, and I understand that. Part of the reason why specialty pharmacy started to exist is because it is a high investment on the payer side. And I bring this up because we've been involved in working with payers in Iowa. And although we've been able to demonstrate that the enhanced services network that we're, are part of the program is saving them quite a bit of money, millions of dollars, they still seem to be very closed in their view of how or how they actually do specialty pharmacy. They don't want to have the access just to a, a general community pharmacy. Do you think that model will shift, or do you think that's going to be the model that they're just going to stay with? Because you, you talk about some of these other value-added things you can provide. Obviously, a specialty pharmacy has done that, and we're going to ask that question about accreditation and things like that. But is this, the, this is something I'm assuming that a community-based pharmacy can provide the same type of services. They just have to really demonstrate it, improve it, and then document it. Is that is that something you think you know, the future the, will be? Absolutely. You know, the, the documentation piece is critical, and I'll come back to that in a second. But, you know, to answer your first question related to this, the shifting of a model, 
Yeah, this concept of value-based care um, is, is one. Any conference that you go to, you're going to see specialists there. Well, let's talk about value-based care and outcomes-based care. Well, the ability to prove outcomes and prove benefit for those sorts of things only comes about if you're able to demonstrate that, that you're doing some of these value-add sorts of opportunities. And if you look at the structure of how a lot of drugs are traditionally managed, you, know, you have the, the, the infused drugs or the, you know, the medically billed types of products that go under one portion of a patient's benefit. You have the oral self-administered that go under the pharmacy piece of the benefit. You're seeing more and more of a shift from a management perspective. You know, those two things, when you're looking at drug spend and drug management, they, they almost can't be siloed in separate sorts of segments because the spend that you have on the pharmacy side of the world directly impacts the spend that you might have on the medical side of the world. So as more you know, the, the conversation exists around value-based care, you're seeing some of the more progressive payers start to, to blend those two concepts together of medical versus pharmacy spend to see the overall impact of where where is the value being driven? You know, is the value being driven because we use an uh, uh, oral therapy in the home, and by utilizing that partner with a clinical service, it prevented a hospitalization that would traditionally be built under the medical benefit. You know, looking at the spend more holistically as opposed to segmented between medical and pharmacy, I'm seeing some more of that sort of shift occurring. Now, the challenge that you tend to see, and, and you've seen some examples in the press you know, of larger payers signing value-based types of drug agreements with a provider. Uh, well, the reason why you're starting to see it with a provider is if it gets it gets a little bit muddy whenever the um, the outcomes aren't necessarily able to be provided in a consistent way. And so, you know, this this thought around providing the documentation, providing the data surrounding your impact and how you're providing these services, there's there's going to be a need to be a shift there as well to show that there is continuity of care no matter where things are. Now, if you're looking at and I've talked to, at length in other areas about this, but there aren't really data standards associated with providing specialty care um, as it relates to things outside of just the traditional prescriptive behavior for some of these drugs. You know, you're not able to see a standardized data capture field for a lot of these things that you may look to see. And so there's been an onus and you know, I've been involved in some of these things where pharma manufacturers are looking to provide the solutions to say, here's a drug that might work in the um, you know, in the community setting, but we're having some payer restrictions or having this and that. We'll pay for the, the service, but you need to document it in a platform that we can then capture the data, no matter whether it's uh, Randy's pharmacy or Jonathan's pharmacy or whatever. You know, it's giving them more of a standardized way to do that because if you think of your point-of-sale system where you adjudicate plans right now, there's probably not a spot to capture some of these enhanced sorts of things that may be needed. And there's, you know, it's kind of that chicken or the egg sort of thing, you know, you could provide that solution and hope that people are going to reimburse you for it, or you can have the solution provided to you and then you can comply by it. So, I, uh, you know, I'm seeing more and more of this, this illness where, hey, we're having some formulary issues to get our, our drug utilized and managed. Let's find ways that we can reimburse community pharmacies that manage this product just because they could provide some additional services. Let's give them a framework to do that and um, see if there, there could be some movement on our end, uh, our meaning manufacturer, uh, as it relates to formulary positioning, just because we can have some better outcomes data that's more than just at one location. Um, you know, it's more than just a, 
a, a single Harvard Pilgrim system or more than just a single you know, one-payer integrated pharmacy system. You know, they're looking for these broad types of solutions that can touch more pharmacy locations. I appreciate that. And, and you, if you're not familiar with um, CPSN, um, the Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network, um, which is the USA is the overall arching. And then within um, each of the states or certain regions, there'll be multiple CPSN um, organizations. So it's a network within a network. And it's all about enhanced services, providing those enhanced services. But just as equally important is documenting what you've done through an e-care plan uh, platform, which meets the standards. And so that information could be shared, uploaded. And so we've been successful in having contracts with payers. And it's really interesting to see because Suzanne and I are both part of a bigger initiative called Flip the Pharmacy, where we have 570 pharmacies nationwide that we're helping to transform. But it is amazing to see the number of e-care plans that have been you know, submitted um, by these Flip the Pharmacies, by these 570 pharmacies. And since we started this program in um, October, October 1st, we've seen um, about 85,000 of these e-care plans being submitted by these pharmacies. And that number continues to grow. And it's pretty exciting to see that because the goal of this program, which is a hopefully a five-year initiative if we have the funding, is to impact 5,000 community-based pharmacies and having them provide at least 1 million e-care plans. So I agree with you. The data is important. The documentation is important because the payer wants to know not only did you know that you say you're going to do it, but now prove it to me that you did, and then let's pull the outcomes associated with it. Did the patient achieve the outcome? Because that's their investment in the product. So it's exciting to hear where you see the vision of this thing going because it seems to be moving tandem with where we're going from a, a community-based network. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's fantastic that you guys are having that type of reach because historically there's not been, you know, uh, an outlet to do those sorts of things. So seeing that there are solutions available for community providers, yeah, it marries very well with this concept that's often spoken about, about, you know, a specialty light type of offering where, you know, it's not the full you know, hands-on, high-touch, white-glove service that you may see that's required of certain specialty drugs, but it's, you know, more than just the counseling associated with a you know, more traditional type of dispense, you know, by providing the care planning and the, 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 uh, you know, the enhanced, you know, it, it's consider that if you want an enhanced clinical program, for instance, care planning around that, you know, there's ways that you can intrinsically provide value to your patients. Absolutely. You know, the other thing that we have to think about, because I do think accreditation is going to be something that more organizations are going to be requiring, right, of providers. So tell us about the accreditation process and what do pharmacies have to think about in terms of specialty pharmacy? Sure. Well, you know, if you're looking at it from the specialty perspective, um, oftentimes that does become a barrier to entry for community pharmacies to get involved in specialty. You know, if you're the the need to try to put some quality parameters around what specialty services are and are not you know, really came into fashion probably about a decade or so ago. Uh, you saw this this huge influx as payers started to require one or maybe two specialty accreditations as a component of their specialty reimbursement contracting. And so you know you saw this this wave over the last even five years where you know, at one point in time, there were maybe 20 pharmacies that had two forms of specialty accreditation. Now there's well over 400. 
You know, so sometimes accreditation can become a barrier to entry for some of these specialty type products. And really the barrier is there on the payer side of things because back to that concept of an investment, if they're going to be investing a higher cost uh, drug in a patient, they want to make sure that there's some, some services that back up that to make sure that they're, they're seeing that return on their investment. And it's a uh, you know, much more effective, efficient way for them to use a third party, like an accreditor, uh, to validate that these these pharmacies are performing these metrics. So, you know, oftentimes, you know, there there are some requirements, and generally, the, the accreditation process is uh, you know, anywhere between an eight to twelve month um, investment, uh, where it requires some alignment and some you know, maybe even creation of policies, procedures. You know, really just showing what are the nuts and bolts of how your organization runs, not only from a dispensing and an operations perspective, but you know, tie in areas related to finances. You know, oftentimes they want to make sure that if there's an investment in managing a patient longitudinally, that your your pharmacy is going to be financially viable enough to to keep that patient on board, you know, throughout the term of their therapy. Or managing to make sure that there's human relations components in, in place, not only for employees, but for uh, you know, cultural considerations and managing uh, the needs of the patients and really putting the patient at the center of things. So, you know, aligning all of those areas, each accreditor is a little bit different on the specialty side uh, as far as what they require. Some will require you to submit all of your paperwork up front uh, for a desktop review and some conversation. Others may require you to just, you know, attest that you are compliant with certain standards. Uh, at that point in time, the, they'll schedule the on-site visit. They will uh, have a surveyor arrive and uh, basically host them for the day where they will ask you questions. They want to make sure, uh, interview the staff. They want to make sure that the standards that you have on paper are those that they actually see in practice. And based on that, they generate a report. They may give you some areas of correction that are needed uh, in order to issue a full accreditation award. Uh, so that's that's the general gist of you know, accreditation programs across the board. Now, the specialty ones, again, there may be some highlighted uh, standards associated with maybe cold chain management just to make sure uh, that certain drugs are being handled more uh, deliberately if there are temperature sensitivity requirements um, through the, the supply chain uh, or patient counseling requirements or call center metrics you know, to make sure that patients aren't waiting on hold you know, for somebody to, to reach out to them. Now, there's been a boom in the last few years as well for other areas of accreditation. So where they're necessarily, you know, everybody's familiar with hospital accreditation and um, you know, needing to have the gold standard out there in order for your hospital to run. Um, there's been more and more of a push in other areas of pharmacy as well. Home infusion and home health, uh, demi posts, community. You know, there's actually you know, several providers that provide community pharmacy accreditation program, uh, really the, the gist is all the same. You know, the, the thought is that there's a, an expectation that there's a third-party validation that the services that your location is providing meet a certain benchmark across the industry. And the, the thought is that those accreditations uh, will you know, afford you new opportunities for business growth and business development. Jonathan, as we as we end this interview, um, what would be like next steps for a, a community pharmacy if they're interested in in looking and exploring, getting more involved in specialty medicine? What would be like the first step you would tell people to do? You know, the, the first uh, this is a great question. I, I think I had something similar. I uh, taught a, a session on this at Idea Share last year from McKesson, and it was a similar sort of concept that came up. You know, I, I think the the first thing before you look to make an investment in building a specialty program is to see, well, what does your 
market there uh, within your location? Uh, are there providers nearby? Are there specialist offices nearby that you can help to impact the care for those patients just by providing them some service that may not be met um, or, you know, may be segmented or something like that. You know, if you're, you're able to find a patient population or, or a group of providers that can be serviced by you know, advertising and, and marketing a higher level of service, then before you go the, the route of investing in things like accreditation or additional state licensure or additional um, you know, service contracts and things like that, just see if there's a market there before you look to make those investments. Um, you know, if the market's not there, you know, you may need to start to, to build your network a little bit elsewhere, but you know, there's often a trickle out effect of what you're looking to service. You know, if there aren't patients there to service, then you, you know, start to worry about risks of um, you know, not complying by payer, uh, regional contracting rules, and you know, are you going to be viewed differently from all of your existing infrastructure that you have in place? So, you know, Put some feelers out there. Look to see are there are there areas, and this could even be conversations with your local um, your, your payer uh, representatives that you have engagement with from a contracting perspective. You know, are there areas of need where you see that you're, you have a lot of drug spend, but it's not the splashy drug spend that you see um, out there associated with specialty products? You know, can we look to carve away and better manage some of the spend for you? and build a program that supports that. And then all of those other areas can start to fall into place. It allows you to better align some processes around managing those those programs that you can offer, and which you know, in turn folds into SOPs, and maybe eventually you look to get a community accreditation or a specialty accreditation. You know, it's um, you know, more of a, I, I think the challenge that most, uh, most pharmacy owners tend to have is they look at specialty, they're like, you know, high cost product, I wanna get into specialty, when, when really, it's not as as easy as just flipping the switch. You know, going into it without a, a plan uh, tends to be the a biggest point of frustration for pharmacies because if you don't have a plan, you don't have a niche that you're looking to to drive into. You could just be shooting in the dark and not necessarily uh, become successful with it over time. No, I agree. I think doing your due diligence because you got to find out what the market will bear. And like you said, you know, who are some of the specialists, the prescribers in the area? But then you also have to think about who are also the competitors. And that can also affect your decision if you want to go into the marketplace as well. So, Jonathan, I sure appreciate your wealth of knowledge about this. This has been very helpful to our listeners. And thank you very much for your time today. Randy, thanks so much again for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, love what you guys are doing with this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. The Thrive Subscribe Podcast is brought to you by Thrive Pharmacy Transformations. Visit us online at tptransformations.com where you can join our free community to inspire you, challenge you, and transform your pharmacy practice.